Hello, you lovely people, and welcome back to episode 11 of Sentience, All That Matters. Yes, you are listening to the show that discusses everything vegan, veganism, being a vegan activist, being vegan curious, everything you could possibly need to know we'll be covering over the weeks in these shows, where I hope to tickle your curiosity and lead you down the path to the righteous choice going vegan so let's get the housekeeping out of the way you can find us on facebook sentience all that matters come and join that group and see what we're getting up to you can see some videos of our actions in the streets on our tiktok channel that's activist 269 you can go onto our website sentienceatm.earth and you can always email us with any questions at sentienceatm at gmail.com. As always, our YouTube channel is there, Sentience All That Matters, with some epic videos of our past adventures and our Sussex 7 piggy rescue. And very soon we will be uploading past radio shows on there for you to catch up as well. On this week's show, why do vegans make people angry we'll be taking a little bit of a look into the psychology of why people get angry when they're faced with the reality and also why specifically male vegans are the most likely to be met with angry interactions we'll also be looking into this week's news piece on the rotten meat scandal yes it has been discovered that a certain food processing company has been putting rotten meat into fresh meat supplies we'll be deep diving that issue for you as well as highlighting some of the other news items from this week we'll also be discussing cannibalism seeing as the meat-eating fraternity always seem to harp back to the old ancestry days of when we ate meat We'll be discussing the fact that in the UK, we used to eat each other. We'll also have this week's animal rights hero, and maybe we'll end on a joyful thought of the day. All these juicy news items for you, right after this. Season passes by you 
So let's get right into the first piece for this week. Why do vegans make some people so angry? So we are citing a research paper here by Gordon Hodson, PhD in psychology, who has looked into and investigated this phenomenon. And uh, yeah, let's crack on. So this all started with a woman in Canada who had bumper stickers on her car indicating her vegan choices. The bumper stickers included expressions such as if you love animals you don't eat them, be kind, be vegan, and slogans like friends not food, why love one but eat the other. As a result of these bumper stickers, <laughs> she has been yelled at, aggressively run off the road, and even had meat thrown at her car. Obviously I'm not laughing at the fact she's had meat thrown at her car, but uh, the lengths that people will go to is quite astounding. So obviously she was quite worried for herself and her children. And regardless of her diet choices and ethical stances, we can obviously all agree that that's not acceptable behavior simply for following a specific life practice so 
The psychologists in this piece have been studying prejudice and discrimination against both vegetarians and vegans. And some very interesting findings of the piece are as follows. So prejudice against vegans is real and strong. The prejudice that meat eaters feel towards vegans is at least as negative as that expressed towards immigrants and is even more negative than racism expressed towards black people. Prejudice towards vegans is more severe than prejudice against vegetarians, with vegan men being the most despised. Such findings highlight the importance of deviance and group norm violation in predicting prejudice towards outgroups. Meat eaters are particularly negative towards vegans who avoid eating meat for reasons of animal welfare compared to those who do so for health or environmental reasons. This suggests that anti-vegan prejudice are motivated and defensive as opposed to simply being a matter of disliking someone from another group or someone who makes a different diet choice than oneself. That is, the reasons why someone doesn't eat meat is an important factor in determining the degree of bias expressed against them. Meat eaters and those on the political right feel that vegans are a threat to society and culture. In this way, vegans are targeted not for doing something, but rather for refusing to do something eat meat. People who are threatened by vegans come to feel over time that food animals and wild animals are less deserving of moral concern and protection. Vegans feel discriminated against and marginalized even by friends and family. Conservatives are more likely to return to eating meat after trying to abstain from meat consumption. This is due in part to a perceived lack of social support and presumably reflects concerns about being stigmatized as a deviant. People who are more pro-beef, including greater consumers of beef, are even more prejudiced against vegetarians, a finding that holds up cross-culturally the fact that the amount of beef one eats predicts the degree of one's anti-vegetarian sentiment suggests that some of the anti-vegetarian sentiment is motivated and defensive and not simply a dislike for someone from another group who is different. Reminders that meat originates from animals reduces anti-vegan prejudice by boosting empathy for food animals and lowers vegan threat perceptions by increasing meat-based distress. However, it also elevates disgust over eating meat, which increases perceptions that vegans are threatening. Thus, reminding people that meat comes from animals stirs a host of thoughts and emotions, some of which decrease, but others that increase biases against vegans. So obviously multiple psychological variants there as to why people's emotions are jarred when they come across vegans or they have a discussion about veganism. And obviously the experience reported by the woman in Ontario, uh, quite worrying 
real life consequences there for her and her family, uh, but also for people in society more generally. Whether those are feelings of anger, guilt or confusion, why does someone else refusing to eat meat cause you so much personal distress? What is this telling you about yourself and your place in the world? Perhaps you are experiencing inner conflict. On the one hand, you probably love animals and believe that you're a good person, but on the other hand, you might be involved in decisions and practices that violate your own personal standards about not harming others. Lashing out at other people will do little to reconcile or solve such inner conflicts, and in fact, may allow them to magnify. We could all benefit from careful and thoughtful discussions with others about the world in which we want to live in and how we want our grandchildren to judge us when they look back on this period in history. This again is another reason why it is crucial when outreaching the public that we take an intersectional, kind, respectful and informative approach as we have no idea what is going on in that person's life and what triggers them emotionally and psychologically for us to get the message across in an informative way and to make it have a lasting effect on them we must take into consideration where they are and without the specific knowledge to understand them we must always choose kindness first
thank you to Psychology Today for that last piece and a fascinating insight into why people get shirty with us. Okay, so moving on now. Every few years, an item pops into the press regarding the food safety of various meat manufacturers and 2023 does not disappoint. This week we have had the rotten meat scandal break into the news headlines with an as yet unnamed meat processing company having been caught using rotten meat mixed in with the fresh meat supplies to make money. Yes, once again, one of the wonderful companies that supplies the leading supermarket chains with their fresh (laughs) meat products has been caught breaking health and safety regulations to make more profit. It's not enough that these products are class one carcinogenics in most cases anyway. They have to try and kill everybody by using meats that should be in the bin. So we are taking our news feed from the Mail Online who broke the story with the wonderful headline Rotten meat may have been sold to customers in British supermarkets for decades claims investigation as authorities swoop on supplier accused of selling expired pork to stores including Tesco's, Asda and M&S. An unnamed food supplier in the Midlands is accused of selling the produce to big chain supermarkets including Tesco, Asda, Marks and Spencer, Co-op and Morrisons. Nice one Morrisons. Customers are thought to have been buying the rotten meat in sandwiches, ready meals, quiches and other goods sold by the supermarkets. They are now urgently searching their shelves and stocks to ensure no more meat supplied by the anonymous company is being sold to shoppers. The supplier, which cannot be named for legal reasons, is now the subject of a criminal investigation to establish the extent of the scandal. It previously sold its meat to food manufacturer Oscar Mayer, which supplies brands including Aldi, Subway and Ikea. The chains of confident customers do not need to be worried about current food safety issues. <laughs> of course they're going to say that. The investigation by Farmers Weekly alleged that the unnamed supplier mixed rotting pork into fresh meat supplies. It also claimed that frozen meat was left to thaw out on the floor of its factory before it was used and that some goods including ox tongues were not properly heat treated. Why would we be using those in the first place? Good question. Two former employees claimed that sampling paperwork, which would pick up bacteria such as E. coli and Listeria, was also falsified at the company. The worst meat was sent to hospitals, care homes, schools and prisons. The investigation added that the supplier's malpractice went on for decades and may have continued on after 2020. Three people were arrested in connection with the mislabeling of foreign food as British during a raid by police at the supplier's factory last week. 
the National Food Crime Unit is also investigating potential food hygiene breaches. Chains which bought meat from the firm only discovered the allegations when the magazine published its investigation yesterday. Business leaders said the shocking investigation would be a wake-up call for the industry <laughs> because the last food scares that we've had regarding horse meat, that wasn't a wake-up call at all, was it? Both are said to have had knowledge of suppliers' practices since 2020. Darren Davies, head of the FSA's sorry, head of the FSA NFCU, said the FSA's National Food Crime Unit is carrying out a criminal investigation into how a supplier was allegedly providing products labelled as British when they were in fact sourced from elsewhere. This is a complex and live investigation and we are looking into all new lines of inquiry with our partner organisations, including any potential food hygiene breaches at the premises. They advised retailers last year to check their cooked meat supply chain and to apply extra due diligence in their checks. We don't give out these alerts without a reason. <laughs> Brilliant. We will not name the supplier whilst we painstakingly gather evidence to support our investigation so as not to prejudice any possible future action by the courts. The British Retail Consortium issued a statement on behalf of the affected supermarkets saying the role of the FSA is to work with retailers to prevent this type of fraud taking place. So putting the animal ethics to one side, if this isn't another blindingly obvious reason why not to consume animal products, I don't know what is. The selfish nature of human beings and the constant need to have greater profits was always going to lead to something like this happening. It's happened in the past, it's happened this week, and it's gonna happen again. Can you honestly be that surprised that this kind of activity is taking place when you're more than happy to consume things like sausage rolls, which are basically blended up body parts formed into a shape for you to consume? The industry clearly learned nothing from the Findus horse meat fiasco and it's only a matter of time before the next producer finds yet more ways to squeeze even more profit out of these poor sentient animals. My lover's got humor. She's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak. She's the last true mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak With fresh poison each week We were born sick, you heard them say it My church offers no absolutes She tells me worship in the bedroom The only heaven I'll be sent to Is when I'm alone with you I was born sick, but I love it Command me to be
So moving on now into some vegan industry news. Plant-based news have reported this month that Nike follows in Puma's footsteps by ditching leather made from kangaroos. Yes, Adidas now remains the only large soccer boot manufacturer to not drop kangaroo leather. The sports giant has revealed that it's phasing out kangaroo leather across its entire shoe portfolio. The announcement came just two weeks after Puma ditched the material after becoming impressed by the vegan synthetic alternative. Nike initially stated that its Tiempo Legend Elite football boot will switch to a fully synthetic upper. However, the brand went on to confirm that it is taking kangaroos out of its supply chain altogether. Similarly to Puma, Nike claims that it will favour new synthetic materials that offer a better performance solution and replace the use of kangaroo leather. Kangaroo leather became popular with soccer boot manufacturers due to its supposed extra durability. This was assumed to improve performance, but cruelty-free alternatives appear to be just as, if not more, effective. This fantastic decision means that two of the largest buyers of kangaroo hides have now turned their back on the material. High-end fashion names including Chanel, Gucci and Prada have all rejected kangaroo leather from their portfolios also. And of course, upon release of this news, 
The Australian kangaroo leather industry appears to be panicking and has released a statement claiming that any culling bans would lead to overpopulation. Of course, commercial hunting of kangaroos is perfectly legal in Australia. And the government has stated the conservation culls are designed to control the population and are needed, otherwise it will impact on animal welfare. So let's get this straight. If we kill kangaroos to make football boots, that's fine. But if we kill kangaroos to cull the population, that's an animal welfare issue. The Australian government also tried to cite that using kangaroos for leather is better for the environment as kangaroos emit less methane. Wow. Moving on to another government with its head up its backside, Italy proposes a ban on lab-grown meats to protect its own food heritage. Yes, this week the Italian government has given its support to a bill that would prohibit the sale of lab-grown meat and other synthetic foods, highlighting Italian food heritage as a leading reason. If the bill passes, anyone who violates the ban could face fines of up to 60,000 euros. Calling for protection of natural food versus synthetic food, lobbyists have collected half a million signatures in recent months, including that of the Prime Minister. Her government has also recently decreed a ban on the use of insect-derived flour in pizza and pasta. At a flash mob outside her office in Rome, she stated, we could only celebrate with our farmers a measure that puts our farmers in the vanguard, not just on the issue of defending excellence, but also in defending consumers. Of course, by defending consumers, what she means is continuing to brainwash them into eating carcinogenic meats that cause 14 of the top 15 ways that a human being can become sick and die prematurely. The Italian farming lobby welcomed the move, but animal welfare groups expressed disappointment. They believe that lab-grown meat is a viable solution to issues like carbon emissions and food safety. Obviously it is. Laboratory products do not guarantee quality, well-being and the protection of the Italian food and wine culture and tradition, to which part of our tradition is linked said the Minister of Agriculture, who is part of the same far-right party as the Prime Minister. Last November, the US FDA cleared cell-cultured chicken for human consumption after careful evaluation. No approval has been authorised within the European Union as of yet, but the European Union Food Safety Authority has said that cell-based agriculture, such as cultured meat, could be considered as a promising and innovative solution for healthy and environmentally friendly food systems. Fortunately, Italy would not be able to oppose the sale of synthetic meat produced within the EU if it is granted approval due to the free movement of goods and services in the associated trade deals. So there we have Italy's Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, showing she's clearly in the back pockets of the Farmers' Union of Italy. And our final news piece is that after a 30-year fight by animal advocates, Lolita the killer whale is to be freed from the Florida Aquarium. Lolita's freedom will come after more than 50 years in captivity 
after she was violently captured from her pod in 1970. That's basically one year shy of the entire time I've been alive. Lolita is set to be returned to her home waters in the Pacific Northwest. The announcement came Thursday after the operator of the Miami Seaquarium formally agreed to bring life to the dream of returning Lolita to an ocean sanctuary. At 56, Lolita is one of the oldest orcas in captivity. Animal activists have been fighting for her freedom for decades, arguing that she deserved to return to her home in the Pacific Northwest. The angels showed up and made this happen, said Pritam Singh, who leads Friends of Toki Lolita, the animal rights group at the forefront of the effort to free the orca. Lolita has had multiple health scares over the years, including an infection that caused her to stop eating back in October. She has survived so much already. Singh said that at a news conference announcing his group's agreement with the Dolphin Group, which operates Miami Seaquarium. Back in 1970, Lolita and a number of other whales were part of a violent capture from a pod in the Puget Sound near Seattle. Four baby whales and an adult were killed during the violent capture. In 1980, at the aquarium, Lolita lost her mate Hugo to a brain aneurysm he suffered after repeatedly ramming his head into his tank. She's persevered through the difficulties that we human beings have enforced on her. She lived through her captivity and the death of her family. She lived through her other family dying and she lived through being in this small tank for so many years. When you see her, her life force, it just brings you to tears. He said it's entirely possible for Lolita to survive her move, citing the case of Keiko, the whale who inspired and starred in the 1993 film Free Willy. Keiko became the first killer whale returned to the wild in 2002, more than 20 years after he was captured in waters off of Iceland. He went on to survive for five years before dying of pneumonia at the age of 27. There are also the financial and logistical issues associated with moving a 5,000 pound whale across country and teaching her how to hunt again. Jim Isray, who owns the Indianapolis Colts, has agreed to pay for Lolita's transfer and estimated that it could cost upwards of $20 million. I knew getting into this, it was going to be a big number. He's loved Wales since he was a kid and is excited about helping Lolita. He said the first part of the process will be getting Lolita and her two dolphin roommates on a special plane and getting them into a habitat in the Pacific. He added, no matter what happens here, it's going to be a great tale. What a fantastic story of somebody putting an animal's life over the value of some money. And if you value animals' lives, you can help out by joining us at the Wild Kind Hearts Campout at the Retreat Animal Rescue and Sanctuary in Kent this July on the 7th to the 9th. Join this amazing festival for a weekend of music, dancing, ceremonies, workshops, film screenings, well-being, mindfulness, 
talks and time spent around the wonderful Sanctuary residence. It's your chance to have an amazing euphoric weekend while supporting an amazing charity. So that's the Wild Kind Heart Campout at the Retreat Animal Rescue, 7th to 9th of July.
Okay, welcome back. And moving on now to this week's animal rights hero. It would be remiss of me not to mention the amazing Paul O'Grady, who sadly died this week unexpectedly. Paul had been a vegan ally and animal rights advocate for decades. Animals lost a dear friend with the passing of Paul O'Grady, whose lifelong dedication to protecting them was unwavering. From joining PETA, to call out animal testing in the 90s, to championing the true underdogs at local animal shelters by asking everyone to adopt, don't shop, and save a life, Paul never missed an opportunity to shine the spotlight on an animal's plight. Among his many achievements, travel giant Thomas Cook stopped selling tickets to marine parks after hearing about the immense suffering orcas experience in cramped, chemically treated tanks. He supported the Fur Free Britain cram campaign. He called for a ban on the torture in a tin foie gras and was outspoken about factory farming. He urged the Lord Mayor of London to stop herding sheep across London Bridge and so much more. Paul once said, it is our duty to treat animals with respect and Peter asks those who cared about him to honour his memory by showing the same kindness to our fellow earthlings as he did. Paul helped get some amazing campaigns over the line using his celebrity status and was an ambassador for Battersea Cats and Dogs Home, coining the phrase, adopt, don't shop. Paul will be missed for multiple reasons and was an amazing advocate for animal rights. Okay, on to our final piece now and something that has been shared with me by the wonderful Linda from Freedom Farm Sanctuary in Robertsbridge. And this piece is an amazing mindset opener especially for those of you that have done street outreach and had somebody say but we've eaten meat forever so traditional reasons are a good enough reason to carry on doing something the simple justification of continuing to do something because we always have gets blown out of the water when you actually start looking into the historical facts of things that we used to do in the past so without further ado let's read this piece out Humans practiced cannibalism for thousands of years. It is just flesh after all, and contains protein and many vitamins and minerals. There is evidence, both archeological and genetic, that cannibalism has been practiced for hundreds of thousands of years by early homo sapiens and archaic hominis. Human bones that have been defleshed by other humans go back 600,000 years. The oldest Homo sapien bones from Ethiopia show signs of this. Some anthropologists such as Tim D. White suggest the ritual cannibalism was common in human societies prior to the beginning of the Upper Paleolithic period. This theory is based on the large amount of butchered human bones found in Neanderthal and other lower middle Paleolithic sites. Cannibalism may have occurred because of food scarcity. It has been also suggested that removing dead bodies through ritual cannibalism might have been a means of predator control, aiming to eliminate predators and scavengers' access to hominid bodies. Jim Corbett proposed that after major epidemics, when human corpses are easily accessible to predators, 
there are more cases of man eating leopards so removing dead bodies through ritual cannibalism before the cult traditions have of burying and burning bodies appeared in human history might have had practical reasons for hominids and early humans to control predation. In Goff's Cave, England, remains of human bones and skulls around 14,700 years old suggest that cannibalism took place amongst the people living in or visiting the cave and that they may have used human skulls as drinking vessels. The archaeological site of Herxame was a ritual centre and a mass grave formed by people of the linear pottery culture in Neolithic Europe. Herxame contained the scattered remains of at least 450 individuals. Whether for religious purposes or war, it is apparent from 2009 study that the humans at the site of Herxame were butchered and eaten. Researchers have found physical evidence of cannibalism in ancient times. In 2001, archaeologists at the University of Bristol found evidence of Iron Age cannibalism in Gloucestershire. Cannibalism was practiced as recently as 2000 years ago in prehistoric Britain. So there we have it. If you're somebody that likes to use history and tradition to make your ethical and social choices in this day and age, why would you discriminate against eating humans and just eat baby animals instead? If it was good enough for our ancestors, surely it's good enough for you too. And yes, that's obviously a completely balmy statement to make, but then again, so is using up 50% of the world's land and resources to slaughter and butcher 80 billion land animals and approximately 2.7 trillion fish every year to feed ourselves. So if you are relying on what you see as cultural norms to justify a certain behaviour, I'd simply ask you to look at the ethics and morality of that decision as clearly in 2023 we wouldn't eat dead human beings and we certainly shouldn't be breeding billions of animals to be murdered for a sandwich either.
interesting stuff. So we're gonna end this week with a thought for the day. And keeping in mind the episode we did on mental health in activism and amongst vegans in general, as well as the very trying times we are all living in at the moment, I just wanted to reflect on the ability that we all have to make a difference in someone else's life or even just to somebody else's day. Now, whilst we are all facing our own challenges each and every day that goes by, every single day is also an opportunity to put a smile on somebody's face. Any kind of interaction with another person is an opportunity to either build them up or knock them down. And that choice can either have devastating consequences or amazing ramifications for that person. The chance to build somebody up, to become somebody they never dreamed they could be, doing things they once thought would be completely out of reach, is one of the most inspirational things you can ever do. Bringing positivity into somebody's life costs absolutely nothing, but the dividends for both of you are absolutely immeasurable. So next time you have an opportunity to make a difference to someone's day, however small that may be, jump in with both feet and embrace the warmth that comes from paying it forward. And on that broccoli bombshell, there's just enough time to remind you of the amazing National Animal Rights Day being held in Brighton at The Level on Sunday the 4th of June 2023. Thanks again for tuning in and being open-minded. And this one is just for you. So